It has been two years, one month, and 25 days since I last treated a patient. The miniseries that ended in the last episode was very much for non-providers. I certainly hoped that some providers got a few tidbits of usefulness out of it, but it wasn't the audience I wanted to reach. This episode, however, is entirely directed at providers. Normally, I don't feel like I have a ton to offer highly experienced providers, so when I make episodes targeting providers, it's usually more for like the new graduate crowd or providers who have transitioned to a brand new setting they're not familiar with. This is not one of those episodes. If anything, this is directed more at experienced providers than anyone else. It's usually not hard to convince a new provider that they're wrong about something. I still remember the beginning of my time as a PTA, then a few years later, the beginning of my PT practice. On a daily basis, I found myself shouting in my head, I have no idea what I'm doing. Who thought I was ready to do this on my own? All the academic knowledge we gain in school does not translate very well to practical application with one exception. If I have a weird disease or diagnosis, I for damn sure want a new grad provider. New grads are up to date with the most recent research and can spot weird stuff a mile away and know exactly what they're supposed to do with it. As we gain experience, those weird diseases that affect the tiniest fraction of patient population are more easily missed out of habitual practice of Occam's razor. The most likely reason a person is in the clinic is the simplest reason. Experienced providers are great with the mundane but lousy at weird. In the natural evolution of practice, there is a huge problem with this. Hear me loud and clear, experienced providers. It is borderline impossible to convince us that we're wrong about something. I said us for a reason. I'm just as arrogant as you are. There's a good reason for this arrogance, though. It's the quintessential double-edged sword. We really can't know what's going on in the body because humankind hasn't even scratched the surface of understanding the body. It's just that we can't be paralyzed by fear of the unknown. We have to act when a patient is in front of us, and we have to believe that what we acted on is the right course of action. No patient in the world is going to buy into our plan of care if we don't believe in ourselves. We all know the research. If you weren't bought into your plan or your patient doesn't like you, they aren't going to get better better, no matter what you do. This self-propagating cycle is horrendous for quality patient care, though. We eventually develop blinders to anything that doesn't align with what we have decided is going on with our patients and how it should be fixed. Let's talk about how wrong we are. We can look at the history of medicine as our evidence. Ancient Greek medicine had the four humors. Fast forward a couple of centuries where we had bloodletting and leeches that was all the rage, and that continued for 2,000 years. In the 15 to 1800s, mustard plaster was applied to cure rheumatism, gout, sciatica, headaches, numbness, palsy, stomach complaints, and chest congestion. This has a lovely potential side effect of nausea and superficial tissue burns. Despite all the evidence showing that it does nothing, it's still used today for some unknown reason. We can look back on the history of medicine and say, well, that was dumb, but they didn't know any better. And in less than 100 years, providers will look at what we're doing and our arrogance of how right we think we are and say, God, they were dumb. 
Honestly, even today, it's easy to look at something we are currently doing and call it dumb. We rely on static imaging as the gold standard of diagnosis in orthopedics. It's fine for showing effect, but it's about as likely to determine cause as someone winning a game of pin the tail on the donkey when the donkey is on the other side of a maze. We providers are humans first. With all the delusions and fallacious thinking, then we're placed in a scientific field with no concrete answers. We don't get the benefit of 6 divided by 2 equals 3 like basic math. We have to work with a patient has a hip pain divided by, I don't know, equals, I don't know that either. When we have a dividend but no divisor or even quotient, we fall back to the lowest hanging fruit of colloquialisms. When you're a hammer, everything is a nail. The inevitable internal monologue that goes on in my head, and I bet yours too, when hearing that colloquialism is, oh yeah, I know that guy. He does the same thing with every patient. I'm not like that guy. I use a variety of clinical evaluation tools and use one of the diverse set of interventions I know according to the problems I'm presented with from the evaluations I did. Uh-huh. Sure you do. Look, if you didn't get a little embarrassed by what I just said aloud, I'd encourage you to take this a step further. I want you to ask every provider you can who has at least 10 years of experience, not just PTs, I mean every provider, what percentage of their patients they feel like they've helped. You're going to hear, well, I'd say about 75 to 80% of them. If every provider has the same success rates, we all do different things, and many of those providers are people you look at and say, but they're terrible providers. What makes you think your success rate of 80% has anything to do with you at all? Let me lay out the next layer of mental gymnastics we like to do. Yeah, well, those providers think they got 80% of their patients better, but they really didn't. Are you sure? Are you positive that every other provider out there doesn't look at you and think the exact same thing? Here's my point. We fallible humans have constant reminders of how fallible we are, but it can be very easy to miss them. It's even more fun when we detect our own fallible fallible behaviors, but move forward with the same solution anyway. A very good friend of mine, who is a great PT, is the perfect demonstration of this. Sorry, buddy. You know who you are, but you also know I have to tell this story. He decided to try going to CrossFit just to see what it was like and potentially build a referral source out of it. After all, he and I had a similar love-hate relationship with CrossFit. I loved it because it kept my schedule filled with patients. I hated it because it kept my schedule filled with patients. I said to him, well, you know what you're doing. I at least trust you to know when too much is too much. His response was, yeah, but I'm probably still going to hurt myself. That competition of the guy next to me doing five more kip-ups than me means even though I'm tapped out, I've got to do six more. Lo and behold, he screwed up his shoulder pretty bad from doing CrossFit. When he got his shoulder all put back together again, did he stop doing CrossFit? Nope. We've certainly laughed at this together because it's silly. I can come up with at least a dozen times in my life that I've done something just as silly, and I'm sure you can too. The same brain that did those silly things is one that thinks it knows what's going on with your patients and 
that you know what the right treatments are to fix their issues. While it's fun to point fingers and laugh, I feel like I need to at least tell one story of my own. In my last year of work as a PT, when I was at the pinnacle of being amazing at my job, see what I did there? Claim how awesome I am because of all the available evidence that said I was awesome immediately after saying we're all full of shit and we think that way? Yep, I still truly believe I was a very good PT. Anyway, in my last year in the clinic, I had a patient with generic low back pain. I spent a solid four weeks working with him, not making any headway. I was truly stumped. And what do I do in those situations? I refer out to get another look because I know I'm missing something and I need more context. I sent him to a physiatrist, and for non-provider listeners, that is a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician. Physiatrist is just easier to say. I've worked with this physiatrist a lot over my PT career, and the the physiatrist had him do a very basic prone press-up, the most commonly prescribed McKenzie method exercise, the same McKenzie method that was the first continuing education series I did coming out of school. This patient was the ideal McKenzie patient. As my practice progressed over the years, I found myself rarely using the McKenzie method. In other words, trying to at least differentiate the kind of hammer I used for all the nails I saw. It wasn't for lack of effectiveness in the McKenzie method. It was that the method is quite specific about one thing. If a patient meets certain criteria, then they are a good candidate for the method. If they don't meet the criteria, then don't force it. In the end of my career, with this guy, I completely missed the screaming beacon of his being a perfect McKenzie responder. Four weeks of wasting his time, only to have him shift to the McKenzie protocol, resolve the issue in a couple of weeks, and per his report a couple of months later when I checked in on him, he was totally fine and back to all his previous activities. Up to this point, I've focused primarily on human delusion, But to really drive this point home, I'm going to borrow a line from The Half-Life of Facts by Samuel Arbusman. If you haven't read it, it's an amazing book that isn't focused on the delusion of humans. It's simply talking about how quickly facts change. The quote from the book referenced an aphorism by Dr. John Hewlings Jackson, who was practicing in the late 19th and early 20th century. It takes 50 years to get a wrong idea out of medicine and 100 years to get a right one into medicine. I'll say that again because it bears repeating. It takes 50 years to get a wrong idea out of medicine and 100 years to get a right one into medicine. So providers, even when you aren't being delusional, there's a significant chance you're still wrong. Up to this point, I've been quite aggressive and contentious. Call it an asset and a drawback of what happens when I'm passionate about something. Allow me a second to calm down. There's one very specific thing I want you to take away from this episode. You can't second guess everything forever. At some point, you have to pick a path and go forward. Statistics are good that the patient's going to get better. 80% chance, right? 
However, if you operate from a place where you truly know that you're constantly wrong, you just might catch a few more things you would have missed otherwise. Let's take that one patient you have with a right patellar tracking issue, the one where you know the issue is coming from a weak gluteus medius. Ask yourself, are you sure? I imagine you tested the muscle, and given your confidence in your diagnosis, I hope that you tested the muscle both statically and dynamically in loaded and unloaded positions. But is it possible the gluteus medius is shut down because the pelvis is tilted in a way that lengthens it too much as a direct result of the left internal oblique not kicking in? Is it possible that the left internal oblique can't kick in because it's also too short from a mid-thoracic left rotational fault? Is it possible that the left mid-thoracic rotational fault is actually a compensation for a right lower cervical rotational fault that came off a car accident 10 years ago? Hey, didn't that patient mention that they have headaches fairly frequently? Did you check the upper cervical spine for an expected left rotational fault that would compensate for a right lower cervical rotational fault? Did I just violate Occam's razor? Or did I find the origin of this person's knee pain? If you're right, giving the patient some strengthening exercises and motor control retraining for proper glute engagement patterns will resolve the knee pain. If I'm right, the muscle will never pass a manual muscle test with any exercise you give them. The point I want you to take away is not that I'm right and you're wrong or vice versa. It's that we're both wrong. The well-being of your patient requires that you always remember this. The second your brain said, I know what the problem is, is when you just increase the chance that you force the patient into that 20% of patients you can't help There's already enough patients who are relegated to that 20% who are outside of your control. Don't add to that volume by knowing that you're right. If there are any non-providers still listening at this point, the last chunk was very technical. I didn't intend for you to follow it, but I do want you to take something away from it. That rapid-fire biomechanics series linking knee to neck is the internal process that is going on with the PTs who work with you. For as much as this episode is about helping providers to be better at their job for you, you need to understand something too. To use another aphorism, you don't know what you don't know until you become an expert in something. Then, you absolutely know that you don't know anything at all. Patients are rarely experts in biomechanics, I'm checking your neck because physics dictates that it influences knee behavior. Everything is interconnected. Here's your takeaway. Don't argue with your PT. Instead, ask them why they're doing something that doesn't make sense to you. It'll go a long way in your care. I'd like to start ending my episodes with the sign-off. For those of you who listened to the introduction episode in my burnout story, you'll be able to guess that this sign-off is just as much for me and my mental health as it is for you to hopefully avoid making the mistakes I did. It's also in the spirit of this episode that I'm going to say this at the end of every episode going forward. Never settle for mediocre, but be careful how hard you push striving for greatness. Sometimes that cost is more than your mind can afford.